All right, well, good morning, church, and uh, happy Sunday to you. Hey, listen, if you're new here this morning and have no idea who I am, my name is Will, and I serve as one of the elders and pastors here at High Point Church, and we are just so glad that you are tuning in this morning. I personally believe that you have tuned in on a perfect Sunday because this morning we are starting a brand new sermon series um, through the Psalms entitled a mixtape for our lives. So we're going to be working our way through different Psalms um, in the Old Testament. And the name of the series is a mixtape for our lives. Now, the question that you may be asking is why now? Like why in the middle of this quarantine? Why in the middle of this waiting? Why in the middle of this pandemic would we do a series on the Psalms? Well, let me explain it to you this way. I don't know about you, but I know that for me, I turn to music in different seasons of my life, depending on how I feel. And so, in other words, depending on how I feel, uh, there are certain songs, there are certain playlists that I am drawn to depending on the season that I find myself in. So, for example, if I am feeling romantic, right, I am drawn to my R&B playlist, right? Um, if I am feeling hood, I am drawn to my hip hop Playlist. If, if I am feeling uh, confused and, and depressed, I turn to my country playlist, right? And so, so what I, at least in my life, I've seen that I turn to music in different seasons of my life. I remember back when I was in high school, um, I was dating um, this girl. This was before my wife, you know, before Lily. So there was BL, all right, BL. And I was dating this girl and I was convinced that she was the one. And we ended up uh, getting in a fight and breaking up. And I remember that I got into my dad's uh, 1993 Nissan Maxima. And the song that I put on uh, was Me, Myself and I uh, by Beyonce. The Queen Bee got me through that very difficult season. And so I don't know about you, but at least for me, I find myself turning to music um, depending on the season that I'm in. And many times the music that I turn to reflects the season that I am in. Now, the reason I bring that up is because I believe that's the reason why a series through Psalms is so important because Psalms, these 150 songs that we have um, in the Old Testament, which is called the book of Psalms, in many ways is the ultimate playlist. Uh, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you are going through, the Psalms uh, literally are the ultimate playlist. There is a song for every person, for every emotion, and for every season. And, and part of the reason why that's the case is because the Psalms were the inspired hymnal of ancient Israel. God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he spoke to different individuals, David primarily, but other people as well, to, to create the Psalms. And the Psalms are songs for our Souls And what's beautiful about the Psalms, and it's the reason why they are the ultimate playlist, is because unlike many other playlists that we listen to, the Psalms have been around for upwards of 3,000 years. They, they are songs that have lasted and have gone up against the test of time. Now, one of the things that makes the Psalms so unique, and one of the reasons why I feel it's, in, it's, it's a great place for us to go in this series and in this season is because the Psalms, they do two things. On, on the one hand, uh, they inform your head. And yet on the other hand, they inspire your heart. So they inform your head and they inspire 
your heart. Another way to put it is the Psalms have the ability to capture your mind's attention and to change your heart's affection. That's what the Psalms can do. And so it's a perfect place for us to go in a season like this. Uh, Dr. Tim Keller in his devotional on the Psalms, here's what he says about the Psalms that makes them so unique. He says, we are not simply to read Psalms. We are to be immersed in them so that they profoundly shape how we relate to God. The Psalms are the divinely ordained way to learn devotion to our God. The Psalms lead us to do what the Psalmists do, to commit ourselves to God through pleasures and promises, to depend on God through petition and expressions of acceptance, to seek comfort in God through laments and complaint, to find mercy from God through confession and repentance, to gain new wisdom and perspective from God through meditation, remembrance, and reflection. And so what what Tim Keller argues is that the Psalms are a very unique book in the Bible. The, The Psalms do something for us that other verses in the Bible cannot. The Psalms just don't describe prayer to us. They actually teach us how to pray. They teach us how to sing. They teach us how to praise God. And one of the things that's very unique about the Psalms is that the Psalms were actually sung by Jesus throughout the entirety of his life. In different moments of Jesus's life, we see him singing and uh, reciting the Psalms in good moments and even in bad moments. As a matter of fact, on the cross, when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He is quoting a Psalm. And so what we see is that all throughout his life, Jesus is singing the Psalms. All throughout his life, Jesus is meditating and reciting the songs, even in the worst moments of his life, even in the difficult seasons, even in the valleys, Jesus was turning to the Psalms for direction and for encouragement and for reminders. But what's beautiful about the Psalms is that not only did Jesus sing, not only are the Psalms sung by Jesus, but ultimately the Psalms are about Jesus. And so what we're going to see in this Psalm and what we're going to see throughout the entirety of this series is that the Psalms were not just sung by Jesus, but the Psalms are ultimately about Jesus. And so that's what we're going to discover in this series. Now, today we are beginning this Psalm series by looking at Psalm 23. Now, here's the thing. If if the Psalms, the 150 songs in the Psalter, if the Psalms are the ultimate playlist, if if the Psalms are the most well-known playlist of all time, then I would argue that Psalm 23 is the greatest hit, all right? So out of all the songs then all the Psalms that we have in the book of Psalms, the most well-known and the most sung and the most prayed and the most recited of all the Psalms of all time is Psalm 23. As a matter of fact, you might be sitting here today and you don't even consider yourself a follower of Jesus. And I guarantee you that you have heard Psalm 23 in some capacity at a funeral or on a sympathy card, but every person has heard Psalm 23 because it's easily one of the most well-known passages in especially the Old Testament, but I would argue the entire Bible. Now, here's the thing about Psalm 23. I believe that we can be guilty of pigeonholing Psalm 23. And here's what I mean. 
Many times people go to Psalm 23 when things go really bad. So, so usually you hear Psalm 23 at funerals or on sympathy cards, right? But what I would argue is that Psalm 23 is not less than that, but it's actually much more than that. So let me give you an example. Uh, St. Augustine, uh, the, the, theo, the ancient theologian, here's what he said about Psalm 23. He said that Psalm 23 was the hymn of the martyrs. Psalm 23 was the hymn of the martyrs. And here's what he means, what he meant, that in those days and back in early, the early church, when, when Christians were being persecuted, when Christians were being put to death, many times the psalm that they were reciting, the song that they were singing was Psalm 23. And so St. Augustine refers to it as the hymn of the martyrs. And part of the reason why people turn to Psalm 23 in times of difficulty or in, when someone has died or in times of, 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 of hurt, right, is because in verse four, it says that even though I walk through the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death. And so because it says death, many people equate Psalm 23 with death, Psalm 23 with suffering. And what I want you to see is that Psalm 23 is not less than that, but it's infinitely more than that. Okay. So let me give you some context. Psalm 23 was written by a guy named David and David was a, the king of Israel. The United Israel had three kings. It started with Saul, then it was David, and then it was Solomon. But by far the most famous of all the kings was King David. King David is the one that's talked about all throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. He was the most famous of all the kings. But if you're not familiar with the Bible, what you may not know is that before King David became a king and shepherded people, he was a shepherd who shepherded sheep. Okay. And so, so, so King David, what, what scholars say, there's different perspectives on when he wrote this, but what, what the, the argument that most convinced me is that King David writes Psalm 23 later on in his life after he's been a king for a while and he is looking back on his days as a shepherd and he is realizing, get this, that, that, that God, just like he was shepherding his sheep, in many ways, God was shepherding him. So, so he's a king looking back on his shepherding days, realizing that throughout his life, he has been the sheep and God has been the shepherd. And so that's what Psalm 23 is. It's a, it's a retired shepherd looking back on his life of shepherding through the lens of God being his Shepherd. Now, one of the things that I love about Psalm 23, and we're going to see that in all the Psalms that we look at, but you really see it here in Psalm 23, is that on the one hand, Psalm 23 is brutally honest, and yet on the other hand, it is incredibly hopeful. See, see, the Bible, if you're sitting here today and you're still considering Christianity, you don't know if Christianity is for you. One of the things that I want you to know, and one of the reasons why a biblical uh, perspective, a biblical worldview is so compelling, is because a biblical worldview allows you to be honest about the bad stuff and be hopeful about the good stuff, right? Because of sin, the Bible is brutally honest. Uh, but because of our savior, uh, the Bible is incredibly hopeful. And so what I love about the book of Psalms is that, uh, Psalm 23 in particular, is that there's this balance. It's, 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 it's very, very honest because of sin. And yet at the same time, it is very, very hopeful because of our savior and our shepherd. And so my hope this morning, as we work through Psalm 23, is that you, that th this, this, passage, since like I said, many of us already know this passage, my hope is that as we look at this passage, you will move from casually knowing this psalm to desperately needing this psalm, okay? 
Let me go ahead and say that again. My hope this morning is that as we work through Psalm 23, you will move from casually knowing the Psalm to desperately needing the Psalm and even more so the shepherd, okay? And so here is the, the title of my sermon this morning. A lot of everything I told you, here is the title of my sermon this morning. The, my, the title of my sermon is, is in the form of a question. And here it is. The question I want to ask you this morning is this. Who is your shepherd? Who is your shepherd? That's the question that I am going to ask and hopefully force you to answer uh, by the end of this message. So, so let me read Psalm 23 um, in its entirety and then we'll come back to the question. Here's what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is the word of the Lord. So the question that I want you to consider, the question that I want you to answer this morning in light of our passage is who is your shepherd? Now, here's the thing, and we're going to get into this in a second, but I want to set it up here on the front end. If you're sitting here this morning and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, if you're sitting here this morning and you don't consider yourself a Christ follower, one of the assumptions that you might be making is, well, I don't have a shepherd. Uh, if I don't believe in God, then that must mean I don't have a shepherd. But what I want you to know is that what this Psalm teaches is that since he is a shepherd, then we are sheep. Over 200 times, the Bible calls us sheep in the Bible, in scripture. 200, over 200 times, we are referred to as sheep. Why is that important? Because what that means is if we are sheep, then we all are created and need a shepherd. So here's what I need you to know. Maybe Jesus isn't your shepherd, but I can guarantee you that you have a shepherd. Every single person on earth is created to be shepherded. And so the question is not if you have a shepherd. The question that you have to wrestle with this morning is who is your shepherd? Now, here's another crowd I want to talk to. If you're sitting here this morning and you are a believer, you've already placed your faith in Jesus. You consider yourself a Christ follower. You might be thinking, well, this sermon isn't for me because Jesus is my shepherd. But I actually want to challenge you on that because Jesus can be your savior theologically but something, can, something else can be your shepherd practically. How many of us will read our Bibles in the morning and be absolutely convinced that Jesus is our shepherd and then we turn on the news or we go on social media or we have a conversation with someone and within moments, he is no longer our shepherd. Now we, we are our shepherds or our money is our shepherd or our retirement is our shepherd. And so what I want you to know is that this sermon is not just for people who still haven't uh, placed their faith in Jesus and are still considering Christianity. This sermon is for people who claim to follow Jesus. And I want you to see that maybe, just maybe, Jesus is your savior, but he is not your shepherd, especially in this season. And so what we're gonna do in this, in this message is David essentially is going to show us what 
Jesus as your shepherd does. What happens when God is your shepherd? He's going to give us four benefits, four marks, four indicators that God is your shepherd. So as we work through these marks, as we work through these indicators, my hope is that you will be evaluating your life. And if these things aren't true of you, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, if these marks, if these indicators aren't showing up in your life, then maybe, just maybe, God is not your shepherd. And the question that we are asking and answering this morning is, who is your shepherd? So, so here are the four things that David says God does when he is our shepherd. The first thing he does is he supplies. The second thing he does is he leads. The third thing he does is he accompanies. And the fourth thing he does is he pursues. So let's begin with the first thing. The first thing that God does when he is your shepherd is he supplies. Look what it says in verse one of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. Let's go ahead and say that together. Wherever you are right now, let's go ahead and say that together. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So here's what's happening at the beginning of Psalm 23. David is beginning with a thesis. He is giving us a thesis and his thesis is this. The Lord is my shepherd. That's the thesis of the psalm. Then what David does for the rest of the psalm is he proceeds to prove the thesis. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And the way I know that is because these four things are true. Okay. So, so that's the thesis. The Lord is my shepherd. And the rest of the psalm is proof of or proof for the thesis. Here's what I need you to know about this question. Who is your shepherd? This question, and I don't want you to miss this. This question is a top button issue. What do you mean? Well, what's a top button issue? I have a, a shirt here, right? That, that has buttons. Okay. I have a shirt with buttons. Well, sometimes when I'm in a rush or when I'm not paying attention, I start putting my, my buttons on. And, and when I get to the bottom, I realize that my buttons are not even. But what I realize in that moment is that there's not something wrong with the bottom button, there's actually something wrong with the top button. Since I didn't put the top button right, all the other buttons are off. This question, who is your shepherd, is a top button issue. This question, depending on how you answer it this morning, and here's the thing, if you don't want to place your faith in Jesus, I respect that. I'm just glad that you're tuning in. But whatever your shepherd is, once you identify that shepherd, that is the top button of your life. Once you decide who your shepherd is, it will determine how the other buttons line up. David is saying that the only button, that, the only top button that results in everything else making sense is God. When the Lord is your shepherd, all the other buttons line up. When the Lord is not your shepherd, none of the other buttons line up. Jesus talks about how seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added onto you, right? Well, the first button is the kingdom of God. Once we seek that first, everything else lines up. But when we seek everything else and put the kingdom of God second or third or last, we end up messing up the buttons. And so this question is a top button issue. Who is your shepherd? Who is your shepherd this morning? Whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, who is your shepherd? Now, here's the thing. In the, in the passage, the, the father describes himself as a 
shepherd. David describes God as a shepherd. So by definition, what that means is that if he is a shepherd, then we by default are what? We are sheep. Now, I don't know how much you know about sheep. And usually when people preach on Psalm 23, they go on and on and on and give all these examples about how dumb sheep are. But I don't have to prove to you sheep are dumb. Uh, They are confused. They are weak. They are exposed. Uh, They just have nothing going for them. They, they, They really, really don't. So what I need you to see is that if God is the shepherd, then by definition, what that means is you and I are Sheep. So, so what's crazy is that God is saying something about us. Like I said earlier, over 200 times, God describes us as sheep. He wants to make sure we understand that he is a shepherd and that we are sheep. So he doesn't describe us as lions. He doesn't describe us as bears. He doesn't describe us as eagles. He doesn't describe us as tiger kings. No, no, no. He describes us as sheep. We are sheep. And so as a result, because God has created us as sheep, sheep by definition are created to be shepherded. Sheep by definition need a shepherd, which is what I brought up earlier uh, in the the message. I said to you that if, if we are sheep, then we are created to be led. We are created to be shepherded. The question this morning is not if you have a shepherd, because you do, the better question is, who is your shepherd? And that question varies, right? It depends from person to person. Different people have different shepherds. One of the ways that you can determine what your shepherd is, is by reading the entirety of verse one. In verse one, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or another way to put it is, I shall not be in need. I shall not lack. One of the ways you can, so in other words, let me kind of explain that to you. What, what David is saying is that because the Lord is his shepherd, he shall not want. In other words, the only way that you shall not want, the only way that you do not lack anything, the only way that there's nothing that you are deficient of, the only way that can happen is when God is your shepherd. But if God is not your shepherd, then you are going to be lacking something. You are going to be wanting something. You are going to be desiring something. So here's what that means. One of the ways that you can determine what your, your true shepherd is, is by looking at what you want, is by looking at what you ultimately desire, is by looking at what you think you need. So for example, if in this season you are convinced that what you ultimately need is a boyfriend or a, girl, a girlfriend, a romantic partner, then there's a good chance that your shepherd is not Jesus. It's that idea of a romantic partner. It's romance. If you're sitting here in this season and, 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 and you are convinced that the thing that you need more than anything else is a secure retirement, then what that means is your shepherd is in Jesus. Your shepherd is money and retirement. If you're sitting here today and, 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 and you're convinced that the thing that you need more than anything else is career success, then what that tells me is that your shepherd isn't Jesus. Your shepherd is your career. In other words, one of the ways you can tell what your shepherd is, is by looking at what you want, what you think you need. Because if you have the shepherd in the right place, then all your needs are ultimately met in him. Now, here's the thing. There are good shepherds and there are bad shepherds. There is one good shepherd and everyone else and everything else that you might be tempted to put in his place is by definition and in comparison bad. 
And one of the books that I read um, in preparation for this uh, message um, is this book uh, by a, a guy named Philip Keller. And, and essentially what Philip Keller does, he's a pastor, and he, he, he looks at Psalm 23 through the lens of a shepherd because he was born in Africa and he was uh, always around shepherds. And then uh, later on in life, he actually was a shepherd as a profession. He was a shepherd for about eight years, I believe. And so he tells the story about how there are good shepherds and there are bad shepherds and that in the region where he was shepherding uh, uh, sheep, he said that there was a, a shepherd that lived right next to him. There was right in the, in the area next to him, there was a shepherd. And he said the difference between him and the other shepherd is that he was very meticulous with his sheep. He would care for them. He would feed for them. He would medicate them. He would make sure they were bathed. He would make sure they were healthy. He would, he would make sure that they would have something to eat. He said that the other shepherd, the one right across the, 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 the wired fence was a terrible shepherd. And he said that his, his sheep were always sick and always mangy and always dirty and always ranging. And he said that, they, that one of the things that the sheep would do from the other shepherd is they would come up to his fence and they would look over to the way and see how he was treating his flock and that many of these sheep were trying to get over into his side because he saw, they saw how good of a shepherd he was. He says, one of the, the assumptions we make is that all shepherds are created equal. But what he learned as he was a shepherd is that not all shepherds are created equal and that different shepherds are, are a different quality. The same thing is true with life. Whatever your shepherd is, whether it's money or career success or your spouse or your family or whatever, whatever your, or maybe it's yourself, Maybe you think I'm the shepherd of my own life. I will rule my own life. Whatever your shepherd is or whoever your shepherd is, they pale in comparison to the good shepherd, which is Jesus Christ. Now, what I also love about this passage is that usually when you hear the word shepherd, it's in response to plural sheep, right? Shepherd usually lead sheep. That's what shepherds do. But what's beautiful about this psalm is that uh, David isn't talking about a shepherd and many sheep. He is talking about a shepherd and one sheep. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is uh, uh, the shepherd. He says, no, the Lord is my shepherd. Listen, I want you to know that as, as you wrestle with the question, who is my shepherd? God wants to be your shepherd. That, that who is your shepherd, you have an opportunity today. I'll give you an opportunity here at the end to, to place your faith in Jesus. Or maybe you're a believer. I'm, a, I'm giving you the opportunity to recommit yourself to Jesus and to make sure that you are making him the, the, the true shepherd. He doesn't want to be a shepherd. He doesn't want to be the shepherd. He wants to be your shepherd. And here's the thing about sheep, right? Sheep, uh, by definition, lack everything. They lack protection. They lack provision. They lack housing. They lack direction. They lack food. Sheep lack everything. So by definition, a shepherd provides everything. So if they lack everything, then by definition, a shepherd provides everything. And what I need you to know is that in this passage, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The, the word there, the way it's translated in the ESV isn't really helpful because what it really says is the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack nothing. I lack nothing. I don't need anything. I am not deficient of anything. That's what it actually says. So I shall not want isn't really helpful. It's more that I don't lack anything. Everything that I need I have in God. 
And one of the things that we have to trust is we have to trust that God will give us not what we want, but he will always liberally and abundantly provide what we need. In Philippians chapter four, verse 19, I'm reading from the amplified version. Here's what Paul says. He says, and my God will liberally supply your every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He says that God will abundantly and liberally, liberally supply not your every want, but your every need. So, so David doesn't say the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I want. No, no, no. He says the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. And one of the things that we have to be convinced of is if God is in control and God is on the throne and he is the shepherd who knows what we need, we must be convinced more than ever that whatever you have is what God wants you to have. Whatever you have in your possession is because God said you need that thing. John Newton, who is this famous uh, slave, uh, slavery abolisher back in the day, he, he, he was writing to this individual who had his sister. His sister was sick and this guy writes John Newton and he says, I don't know what to do. I'm struggling and I'm angry and I can't figure out why God has us in this season. So John Newton writes this letter back and by God's grace, we have that letter in our possession. Now it's still in existence. But John Newton writes to this man and one of the things he says to him in that letter in response to this moment of suffering that he found himself in was this. Everything is needful that he sends nothing can be needful that he withholds. Everything is needful that he sends. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. Isn't that crazy, guys? That, that everything that God sends you is needful. And, and anything that he doesn't send you, he doesn't send it to you because you don't need it. That, that, that's what he's saying. So, so in order for someone to write like that, they have to be convinced that the Lord is their shepherd. If you're sitting here today and there's something that you think you're convinced you need that God's withholding from you, then you really don't see him as your shepherd. You are doubting his care and you are doubting his love. One of the things that we see that God provides is it says in the Psalm a little bit later that our cup runs over. It overflows. It says our cup runs over. I love how the, the, the King James puts it. The, the King James says our cup runneth over. I love that word runneth, right? Our cup runneth over. And what commentators say is that it's a picture of God's abundance. It's a, it's a picture of God's goodness. It's a picture of God's mercy and his love. He is abundant in his giving. Our cup over flows. But man, I don't know about you, but for me, and I would say many Christians are guilty of this. I've seen some Christians who are really guilty of this. Instead of walking around like our cup runneth over, uh, we walk around like our cup leaketh under, right? Like there, there, there's some Christians who you're like, man, what happened, man? Did Jesus not resurrect in your story? Like, why are you so down right now, right? There are Christians who instead of seeing that their cup runneth over, they walk around like if their cup leaketh under, uh, one of the stories that, that Philip Keller tells in his book is he says that there was one sheep, there was one lamb that he had. He called her fence crawler. And the reason why is because no matter what green pasture he brought them on, she would always run over and look at the other shepherd's fields. Always. No matter where he brought them. It could have been the most beautiful green pasture. She was a, friend, a fence crawler because she always walked away to look to see what was, she, essentially she thought the grass was greener on the other side of the fence. And he said that eventually he had to sell that lamb because all the baby ewes that she was having would literally follow her and were following her lead. 
And man, what a, what a reminder for us as parents that, that it, it said that the, the baby lambs, the ewes, would follow her and do the same thing. They would look at the other side and think that's better. The grass is greener over there. Man, we as parents have to be careful because if we walk around, like instead of our cup runneth over, it, 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 we, we, we act as if our, our cup leaketh under, that actually can impact our kids. He said that he eventually had to get rid of the lamb because it was affecting not just her, 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 her ewes, but it was also impacting all the other lambs. The other sheep were following her and they were discontent. Instead of being grateful for what God had given them, they were too busy looking at the other side of the fence. Here's what I want you to know. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I feel like I'm struggling. I feel like I'm overwhelmed. I feel like this suffering is a burden that I can't carry. I heard someone put it this way. Suffering either bends your knee or it breaks your back. I'm going to say that again. Suffering either bends your knee or it breaks your back. So in this season, you have an option. You can either make the Lord the shepherd of your life or you can be crushed under the pressure. It either bends the knee or it breaks your back. Uh, Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, right? That's what Jesus says. But the question you have to ask yourself, if in this season your yoke doesn't feel easy and your burden doesn't feel light, then are you really yoked to Jesus? If, if, if you're not feeling that, that what Jesus describes, that what Jesus is describing, then are you actually yoked to Jesus? And I'm talking to non-Christians and Christians here. Many of you, instead of Psalm 23, you feel like the anti-Psalm. And here's what I mean by the anti-Psalm. Uh, Dr. David Polison, who is this uh, uh, Christian counselor who died a couple years ago, he's super godly guy. He, he, he took Psalm 23 and he wrote the anti-Psalm. And he said that many of us, instead of believing the actual Psalm 23, uh, we live in light of the anti-Psalm 23. And here's what he says Psalm 23 is. And tell me, maybe as I read it, it describes where you are right now. He says, I am on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I am always restless. I am easily frustrated, often disappointed. It's, it's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths. Still, I insist I want to do what I want when I want, how I want. But life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I am haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but, but I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me except me. And I'm so much all about me. Sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I, I, I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever, homeless, free falling into void? It's a living death and then I die. Man, if you're sitting here today and in any way that Psalm, that anti Psalm 23 describes you, then maybe something other than the Lord is your shepherd. The question is, who is your shepherd? 
The next thing we see that the Lord does here, and I'll, I won't take as long here with the next ones. The next thing that we see the Lord does is he not only supplies, but when the Lord's your shepherd, he, he leads. Look what it says um, in the next section of Psalm 23. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, now here's the thing. The, the second thing that we do, we see that, the, that this shepherd does is this shepherd, he, he leads us. He, he demands us. He directs us. Now, for some of you, that first point was good news, right? You were looking at the first point. You're like, man, I love this shepherd. He gives me everything that I need. Sign me up. But one of the reasons why people don't want Jesus as their shepherd is because of the second thing he does. And the second thing he does is he, he leads you. He, he guides you. He directs you. He demands you. And as Americans, that's not good news. That's bad news. And no one's going to tell me what to do. I am the captain of my own ship. I am the master of my own life. No one is going to tell me what to do. And as Americans, if you're sitting here, a lot of times as, as modern day Westerners, what we want is we want all of the, the, the resources without any of the requirement. And we want all of the affluence without any of the authority. We want all of the, the bouncy and all of the benefits without any of the burden. But what's crazy is that it says that he guides us, he leads us. And one of the things that the passage says is that it says he makes us lie down. He, he makes us lie down. He, he, he takes us and the word there to lie down, it means to fold your four legs up as a sheep and to be sprawled out. To not move, to be completely sprawled out, exposed, reclining. He, he makes us lie down. Look, look here's what I, what, I, what I need you to know. Um, in this season, what God has done in this season of quarantine is he's made us lie down. I don't know about you, but I feel very restless. Like I want to do something, like I have to do something. But God has made us lie down in this season. What's beautiful about this shepherd, don't miss this, guys, that, that maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know if I want to believe in this Jesus or in this shepherd because he makes me do stuff. But the first thing he makes you do is he makes you rest. And what's beautiful about that rest is that it points us to gospel rest. Christianity is different from any other worldview and any other religion. And so if you aren't coming to Jesus as your shepherd because you think it's like every other religion, I need you to know that the first thing he makes you do, he doesn't make you do religion, he makes you rest. He came to give you a gospel rest. But how many of us are sitting physically at rest, but our souls are not at rest? Our minds are not at rest. Our hearts are not at rest. Our, our, we, in this season, we have been forced to rest physically, but if you're anything like me, so often my, my thoughts keep going and my, my heart is freaking out about stuff. And, and I, I'm, I'm physically still, but there's a lot of turbulence inside of me. There's a lot of fear and worry and, and, and I can't still my thoughts. I can't still my emotions. I can't still my soul. And what's beautiful about the gospel is the gospel, what, what Jesus is doing in this quarantine is actually what he does for us in the gospel. He gives you gospel rest. You can find true rest, not just physical rest. This isn't just a nap, but it's an opportunity to reorient your life around Jesus and to worship him. A lot of people think that the Sabbath is for napping and for taking a break. No, the Sabbath is to worship Jesus. It's an opportunity to rest and be reminded that the ultimate work is finished. Not just the work of creation, but the work of salvation. Come on, church. 
And that's what we have. We have a rest in Jesus. We can have access to that rest today. It is a gospel rest that he wants us to have. But the reason why so many of us are not at rest is because we're like those little kids at the grocery store. You know how certain, well, we, don't, don't, we don't have that right now because of everything that's going on. But you know how in certain grocery stores, there's these shopping carts that have the steering wheels in them? And, and the little kids sit down and, and a lot of times little kids, if, 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 just because they don't understand, they're convinced that they're the ones controlling the little cart. And sometimes their parents happen to turn in the right direction that they're turning. And so it only reinforces the lie, right? But, but, but then all of a sudden they want to turn to the candy aisle and their parents turn into the vegetable aisle and they realize, well, I am not in control of this cart the way I thought I was. Man, that's the same thing it is with us. This season, what it has revealed to us, a lot of us were playing with our little toy carts and our little steering wheels, and we were convinced that we had control of our lives. And what this quarantine has showed us is that we don't have control of our lives. God is in control of our lives. He is the one that leads us. He is the one that guides us. But he doesn't just want to give you physical rest. He wants to give you spiritual rest, emotional rest, intellectual rest. He wants to give you Sabbath rest that can only be found in Jesus. It says in the passage that God, he takes us to still waters. He takes us to green pastures. And one of the things that I didn't know that I found out in that book that I keep referencing is he said that in, in those days, people, people, when people think of grass, right, they think of like these lush pastures, like this, this, this big piece of land with, with all this grass. But he said, one of the things that people don't understand about the Middle East is that the Middle East is desert. And so there weren't these great patches of grass. A lot of the grass, it literally what David is referring to when he talks about green pastures were little patches of grass that would pop up in the wilderness underneath rocks and, and inside caves and in the most random places. It was little patches of grass that were no bigger than a few inches wide. It wasn't like this huge thing. It was it, because think about it. As sheep, if we had a green pasture that we can eat from all the time, there would be no need for the shepherd. But what I love about that imagery is that because the shepherd was constantly looking for the new patch of grass, the, the, the sheep had to constantly rely on the shepherd for the next meal and for the next meal and for the next meal. And Jesus says that we are to rely on God for our daily bread. In the Old Testament, it's the, it's the manna. It, it wasn't this, this huge piece of grass. It was little patches of grass that the shepherd being taller would see and identify. And from far away, he would take them to the next pasture of grass. Even the water, it says that, the, that most of the water that the sheep would drink would be from the dew in the morning, or it would be from wells, or it would be from uh, 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 um, uh, streams, right? It would be from different places like that. But one of the things that sheep were really, really guilty of is whenever it would rain, the sheep would go up to these mud puddles. And instead of waiting for the shepherd to take them to the good water source, they would settle for these dirty water sources. And as a result, these sheep would get sick and they would die. They would get these diseases because they were drinking from broken cisterns. They were drinking from muddy water. How many of us in this season are settling for muddy water and God wants to take us to the good water, to the water that satisfies us, the water that Jesus offers the woman at the well, the water that after you drink, you will never thirst again. How many of us are settling for mud puddles when we can have the water of the gospel? That's what we see. And then the other thing that we see here in this passage is that as he is, he's, he's leading them and as he's, he's guiding them, it says that he will then, uh, one of the things that God does is he will lead you down the, the right path. He will lead you down the, the right path. 
Man, and what I love about that, when I think about that, is that the righteous path, you would think it's the moral path. But what commentators say is that what it actually means is that God will lead you down the path that is best. Correct. It's not necessarily the moral path. It's the best path. There's paths and then there's the right path. Man, how many of us are convinced that we have the right path, that, that we have the right way? And God in his mercy and in his sovereignty, one of the things that he would do, a shepherd, what they would do is one of the, 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 the things they would do in the summer when it was getting hotter, uh, uh, what the author of that book says is that this essentially is a, a, a annual calendar for a sheep. And, and, and so we saw fall and we saw winter and now we're getting to spring. And one of the things that shepherds would do in the spring is that they would take the sheep to higher ground in order to get them to get more water. And so the, the, that would be the right path. The sheep wouldn't want to leave, but the, 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 the shepherd knew the path that the sheep needed to go down in order to find more water, in order to find more pasture. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says this about us. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah says that we are like sheep who have wandered away, who have, who have stranded. And in the Bible, in the Old Testament says that in, 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 in the man's eyes, there's a right way on which he should go. Right? There's, there's a right way in which a man should go in his eyes, but that way leads to death and destruction. God, the good shepherd, leads us in the right paths. So that's the first two things he does. The, the third thing that God does and this, this shepherd does is not only does he supply us, not only does he lead us, but he also accompanies us. He accompanies us. Look what it says in verses four and five. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So, so he begins verse four with even though. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Man, here's the thing. A lot of us, we, when we are following God as shepherd, we assume that it's going to be just uh, uh, peaceful waters. And it's going to be green pastures. And we're going to go from mountain peak to mountain peak. And it's going to be rainbows and, and clouds. And it's going to be all beautiful. But what the Bible guarantees us, what the Bible promises us is that it's, we're not going to be uh, uh, air, airlifted from peak to peak. No, to peak. We got to get through, we got to go through valleys in order to get to the next peak. Now, here's the thing that I found out that I, I had no idea about. I mentioned a little bit earlier that when, when, the, when spring was coming to an end and it was starting to get hotter, uh, what, what, what shepherds would do is they would move the sheep to higher ground because the higher they got in altitude, the cooler it would be. But here's what I found fascinating that I had no idea about. The only way to get sheep to higher ground was through the valleys. The sheep weren't able to go up the mountainside. And so you would have to go through the valleys in order to move towards higher ground. Now, here's what's crazy about the valleys. The, the, the valleys were very dangerous. They were dangerous for a few reasons. They were dangerous because of mudslides. They were dangerous because of rock slides. They were dangerous because of uh, flood, uh, sudden floods can just flood a valley in a second. They were also dangerous because that's where most of the wild uh, predators were, uh, the lions and the, the tigers and the lions and the bears, not tigers, the lions and, and the bears were there, right? 
So it was a very dangerous place. And to make matters worse, according to scholars, that's where a lot of criminals hid. A lot of criminals, valleys had these caves. And so a lot of criminals and murderers and people, they would go and hide in the valleys. So the valley was a very dangerous place. But what's crazy is that not only on the one hand, it was very dangerous, but yet on the other hand, it was the place where the best water and the best grass was found. Here's why. Think about it. When it rains, water, because of gravity, will always go to the lowest possible point. So it was at the bottom of the valleys where the most luscious uh, grass and foliage was. It was at the bottom of the valleys where the best water was. So think about this, guys. Man, this is, this is crazy. That, 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 that the, the shepherd is taking them through the valley in order to get them to higher ground. And it is in the valley, even though it's dangerous, even though it's dark, it is in the valley where the best grass is, where the best water was. And so he would take the sheep knowing that the reason why he can take the sheep through the valley is because not only would they eat well, not only would they drink well, but they would be protected well because he was with them. That's beautiful. That, 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 that even in the valleys, God is in control. Think about what a sheep would think, that everything is great in, in the fall, in the winter, and then all of a sudden spring comes and you start heading down, down, down into this dark valley and you're like, what is this shepherd doing? What are you doing? Are you, do, are you, are you blind? Are you not in control? Have you, have you, are you disoriented? Can you imagine how many times the sheep would doubt the shepherd as they walked through the valley? And yet in the valley, they had the best grass, they had the best water, and the valley was the only way for them to get to higher ground. Man. So what that means is he doesn't say if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He says even though. In other words, we must get to a place, guys, where we must expect Valleys. Valleys are a part of God's plan. And what I love about what he says, he doesn't say that we run through the valley, right? So he doesn't say that we sprint through it. No, he says we walk. So on the one hand, we don't run through it. We have to walk. But yet on the other hand, he doesn't say that we camp in the valley either. He doesn't say that we live in the valley. There's a, there's a balance. It's not running through it. So we speed through it because God's trying to teach you something. God's trying to feed you something, right? So we don't run through it. But then on the other hand, it ends at some point. There, there's, there's no camping. There's no living. We are walking through the valley. Man, here, here's what I need you to know. That in this season, uh, fear, it says that I will fear. It says, because the Lord is with me, I shall not fear. I will not fear, it says in the passage. Man, fear takes a lot of different forms. For some of us, fear might look like stress. For some of us, it might look like insecurity. For some of us, it might look like worry or anxiety. For some of us, it might look like nervousness. But, but fear takes a lot of different shapes. But what I can tell you is that the only way to overcome fear is with the presence and protection of the Lord. What I love about this passage is that it doesn't say that God's going to send you into the valley. He says he's going to go with you into the valley. Don't, don't miss that. It doesn't say that the shepherd is going to send the sheep by themselves. They would get destroyed. No, no. He doesn't send them into the valley. He goes with them into the valley. That's what we see in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're standing in front of Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar throws them into the furnace. And they essentially, what happens, God doesn't take them out of the furnace, and the person who actually takes them out of the furnace is Nebuchadnezzar at the end. God doesn't take them out of the furnace. God goes into the furnace with them so that Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire and says, oh, there was three, and now there is four. Praise be to God that our shepherd, he joins us. He comes with us into the valley. 
And that's why in the passage, what I love about the passage is that in verses one, two, one through three, he is talking in the third person. He says, the Lord is my shepherd and he will do this and he will do that. But then in verse four, he moves from the third person pronoun to a second person pronoun. And now he's talking about how you will be with me. Not he, but, but you. Man, guys, here's the thing. The reason why David goes from the third person to the second person when he goes into the valley is because when we are by still waters and when we are by green pastures, it's easy to talk about God. It's easy to, to, to talk about God, right? When things are good. Anybody can talk about God when things are good. But the thing about valleys is that you go from talking about God to talking to God. He goes, from third person to second person because in the valley, I just can't, I can't talk about God. I got to talk to God because he's the only person that's going to get me through this. And he says that he protects us. We are protected. And here's how we know that we're protected. It says that his rod and his staff, his staff was used for directing us, but his rod it was used to protect us. The, the rod is what he hit uh, the animals with. When a wild animal would show up, the rod is what the, 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 uh, the shepherd would use. And one of the things that I found out this week is that the rod was taken from a stump of a tree. The trunk of a tree, you would cut a rod out and that would be the rod. But they said that the rod and the size of it would always be determined by the size of the shepherd. Man, if God is our shepherd and, and the, the, the rod has to be the shape and the size of, of him, can you imagine how powerful God is? That, that even in the wilderness, even in the valleys, God will protect you with his rod of strength. So that's the third thing he does. He supplies us. He leads us. He accompanies us. And the th fourth and final thing that the Lord does and only the Lord does I don't know who your shepherd is, but only the Lord does, is he pursues. He pursues. Look what it says um, in the last verse. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, see, here's what happens here at the end. The last thing we see is that God, he pursues us. And you're like, well, what do you mean God pursues us? In the passage, it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow us. That's not God. Those are emotions, right? Those are, those are characteristics. Well, here's why we know it's God. Because later on in the New Testament, Jesus says, no one is good but God alone. So that can only be God. And then the word mercy there is the word, the Hebrew word hesed, which is the covenant love of God. So here's why this is so beautiful. Oh, and the word follow there, it means to intensely pursue or chase something with incredible and intense effort. That's what the word there follow means. So, so follow with me here. When it says that goodness and mercy shall follow us, shall chase us, shall pursue us intensely, it's not talking about emotions. It's talking about a person. There's a person who is going to follow us. There's a person who is going to chase us. There's a person who is going to pursue us. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. We find out later on in Luke chapter 15, Jesus says that there's a shepherd that has a hundred sheep and one of the sheep leaves and he pursues the sheep. Jesus is talking about himself. He leaves the 99 on the field, in the fields and he goes looking for the lost sheep. Guys, here's what I need you to know today. Here's what I need you to understand. This is why this is such good news. In the gospel, we have a God who goes before us. In the gospel, we have a God who is beside us. And in the gospel, we have a God who is behind us. Come on. 
That's crazy that now in Jesus, we have the, 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 the gospel is so beautiful that the shepherd becomes the lamb. The good shepherd becomes the lamb of God. And Jesus Christ, unlike us, is the only person to fully live out Psalm 23. He lived it out to the T. He honored God in every step of the way. He treated him as a shepherd his entire life. And yet at the end of his life, when Jesus was in the valley of the shadow of death, God uh, be, turned his back on him. God uh, uh, abandoned him. People don't know this, but there is an actual, in, in Israel, there's an actual valley of the shadow of death. There's an actual valley. It's called the, the Kidron Valley. And the Kidron Valley was in between the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount. So in between the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem, there was a valley. It was called the Kidron Valley, and it was referred to as the Valley of the Shadow of Death. It was such a dark valley that even on the Feast of Tabernacles, there was these, these, these torches that were lit up that would light up all of Jerusalem. Everything was lit up on the countryside too. The only thing that wouldn't light up, the only thing that would remain pitch black was the Kidron Valley, was the, the, the valley of the shadow of death. Now, you may not know your geography, but here's what I need you to know. Jesus Christ, he lived out Psalm 23 to such an extent that Jesus himself was in the valley of the shadow of death. And in that moment, God turned his back on him because what we find out when you look at the geography is that the Garden of Gethsemane was at the base of the Kidron Valley. And so Jesus Christ is in the valley of the shadow of death. And instead of God answering his prayer, instead of God showing up, instead of God comforting him, God turned his back on Jesus. He turned his back on Jesus in his valley of the shadow of death so that one day he can turn to us in our valley of our shadow of death. In the garden, Jesus says something to the father. He says, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. But what cup is Jesus talking about? He is talking about the cup of wrath. Jesus knew that he and he alone was to drink from the cup of wrath. And so Jesus Christ in the valley, he drank the cup of wrath so that now he drank that cup down to the bottom so that now we have a cup that constantly overflows. He drank it down to the bottom so that our cup of blessing and a fellowship can overflow. Man. And then here's the thing. It, it describes the valley as the shadow of death. Have you noticed that? It doesn't say that it's a valley of death. It's the valley of the shadow of death. Why can death just cast a shadow? Well, the reason why as believers, and it's only if you have Jesus as your shepherd, the reason why we as believers can have hope is because what we see is that the valley can only cast a shadow of death because at the cross, Jesus Christ dealt with the substance. At the cross, Jesus dealt with the sting. Paul says in the New Testament, death, where is your sting? In other words, death, where is your substance? Look at, a shadow can be scary, but a shadow of an animal can't bite you. A shadow of a knife can't cut you. A shadow of death can't ultimately kill you. All, all death has is a shadow because Jesus has took the substance and the sting. Come on, church. That's why we can say even though. Only Christians can say even though. Even though I am broke. Even though I am poor. Even though I might be sick. Even though I might lost my job. I might lost my job. Even though all those things are true, I will fear no evil because the Lord is with me. Listen, my goal this morning is not to belittle the enemy, but it's to magnify 
your shepherd. And in this season of confusion, in this season of uncertainty, in this season of question, the most important question that you can ask and answer is this. Who is your shepherd? Who is your shepherd? Listen, if you're sitting here today and you hear this description of all these things I just gave and you're like, I don't, I don't feel any of those things. I want you to know that you can start a relationship with that shepherd today. Jesus, the good shepherd, became the lamb of God at the cross. He died for your sin. He resurrected and conquered death and conquered sin and conquered, conquered Satan so that now you can have a relationship with him. And so my hope and my prayer that is today you will place your faith in him. That today you would make Jesus the Lord and Savior and shepherd of your life. To do that, I would love for you to text High Point to the number 97000. When you do that, you will get a link. And when you get that link, you click on it and you click on the box that I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Let us know who you are so that we can pray for you. Now, as we conclude here this morning, I want to transition over to the Lord's Supper. As I was meditating this week, as I was processing what I wanted to, uh, how I wanted to summarize this message, I, I came across that part where it said that he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And immediately it made me think of the Last Supper because Jesus is sitting there and he's sitting in the presence of his enemy, Judas. Judas is planning and plotting on killing him right there. He's at the table sitting in the presence of his enemies. And what's beautiful about this passage that we see here is that now, because Jesus overcame the greatest enemies, now it says in the passage that God prepares us a meal in the presence of our enemies. Nowhere in the passage does it say that we leave the valley. It says that in the very valley that we are in, God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemy. So I don't know who your enemy might be today. Maybe it's the fear of the coronavirus. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's your past. Maybe it's economic. Maybe it's physical. Whatever your enemy is today, I want you to know that because of Psalm 23, because of the Last Supper, because Jesus sat in the presence of his enemies and eventually overcame them, we can eat, we can fellowship, we can have a meal in the presence of our enemies. So if you have bread and you have water or juice or crackers, you could do this however you want. Um, I just want us to participate in the Lord's Supper this morning. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake. Verse 25. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us partake. And then Paul concludes, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. 
Father God, we thank you for today. And I pray, Lord, that for the people here who have yet to make a decision on who you are, I pray that today they would evaluate who their shepherd is. And Lord, we thank you that for those people who place their faith in you for the first time, this might've been the first communion they've ever taken or the first one they've, they've partaken in a long time. And so God, I pray for those people who have made a decision to follow you. And I even pray for the people who believe in you, but haven't had you as a shepherd for a long time. I pray that at the end of this message, all of us who are within the sound of my voice would put you back where you belong so that we can go back where we belong so that you can be our shepherd and we can be your sheep. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.